is in for the touchdown. Of course, the crowd wants Reed to go for it. Wouldn't be surprised if he did on fourth down and one. So, anyways, with that time, George. Welcome to fourth and one. I'm Todd Palmer, joined by Nick Jacobs. And uh, um, Nick, I, I've, I've been a little out of the loop this week. Is there anything going on? Yeah, championships are happening this week, Todd. People are going to be uh, champions. Wait, what? Yeah, they're going to they're going to win conferences. So that's going to happen on Sunday. So it's oh, going to be a big Sunday, Sunday, Sunday championship Sunday, as I like to call it, Todd. That would so be the, the so promo. The, so the Chiefs beat the Bills. Dude, you were there. We did. Last it. I saw, they were down by four or about down by three with thirteen seconds left, Stop and then I kind of I then mean, I kind of blacked out. Okay, you did a podcast <laughs> with me at two a.m. in the morning, so. I mean, <laughs> Maybe you apparently thought that was a dream. I did not. It was like Zoom champagne. I'm just going to blame it on the Zoom champagne. Um. <laughs> Which we do not. Uh, we do not have alcoholic beverages on the Fourth of One podcast. Hours. <laughs> Thank you for uh, for making me have to use a disclaimer on that, Todd. <laughs> no, but look, this is the second week in a row now. Uh, oh, you know, already podcast already off on the rails, man. Didn't even take thirty <laughs> seconds. Well, I'm trying to get it back on though. So this is the second week in a row. The Chiefs lost the Bills week five, uh, come back and, and, you know, stirring, scintillating, exciting, um, amazing, incredible, whatever you want to call it, victory uh, over Buffalo there, you know, to get their exact measure of revenge. Uh, you know, Cincinnati obviously got them 34-31 in a last-second field goal and a game that, honestly, the Chiefs should have won, right? They were up big at halftime. They had a two-touchdown lead several other times, you know, um, but ultimately they lost that game in week 17. Now they get a chance to exact another measure of revenge. You know, they're the first team in NFL history to host an NFC champ or in any conference championship game for the first, for four straight seasons. Andy Reid's the first coach in NFL history to take two teams, two, four straight conference championships. The Eagles just didn't host them all from 2001 to 2004. Um, you know, I mean, the, the chiefs are the first team to host three preseason or three postseason games in the same postseason. Um, you know, it's a pretty incredible run. The chiefs are on here. Um, but look, just to kind of review that last game, I, I thought the three key plays were the Zane Anderson hold on Byron Pringles touchdown that, that wiped off seven points, um, you know, late in that one. And then we talked about it before uh, on the chiefs last drive, they had third and five. They didn't call any hot routes. The Bengals brought their, one of their only, if not the only blitz of the game, it got home. Mahomes had to throw it away. They settled for a field goal there. So they only tied the game instead of taking the lead. And then Cincinnati goes down and, and ran out the clock before getting the field goal at the end. And of course, included the previous drive had been that third and 27 where the Chiefs went cover zero and sent the house. And Jamar Chase went, you know, climbed the ladder and beat Traverius Ward there. So, um, what else stands out to you about that game and, and ultimately, um, you know, the way things shook out, what, four weeks ago? Um, I mean, the, the thing that the Chiefs are going to have to, they're going to, part of what they had issue-wise is just they didn't get as much pressure as they needed to on Burrow. They came in reckless at times on some of their blitzes where if they'd slowed down and squared up, they could have got them and there would have been a couple more sacks that would have, would have stopped some drives. And the reason that they didn't get blown out against the Titans is how awful the Titans offense was in that game against the Bengals and how awful Ryan Tannehill was and how they kept trying. The Titans kept trying to force feed Derrick Henry, the football when he clearly wasn't healthy or in good condition. 
And when they did put Foreman in there, that's when they moved the ball at times. So for them, that was kind of, you know, they, they played an offense that was really struggling that day in the divisional round. And because, you know, so then you're going against a, a powerhouse like the Chiefs. And since you're going against a powerhouse like the Chiefs, you know they're going to be explosive offense. They got athletes across the board, and they're going to stretch you across the field. They're going to stretch you horizontally, vertically, you name it. And the last time the Chiefs really hadn't used Jarek McKinnon at that point, so that's another that's an even bigger problem the Bengals have. So the Bengals they they got their they got they got their hands full, and, and in some ways, you know, um, I was on the conference call for Zach Taylor and got to ask him a couple questions on Thursday. And one of the things I wanted him to describe was about his team. And he talked about how he wanted to be aggressive. Like aggressive is kind of what they want to do on defense, on offense. That's that's what they're about. So it was interesting to hear him talk about that. And I asked him some other questions. And somehow him and I turned into an eight-minute interview. But it was glorious, Todd. It was a glorious <laughs> time. Um, but no, I mean, overall, yeah, now that uh, it was yeah, it was interesting stuff to hear him say. But yeah, I just I think for um I think for the Chiefs, I think there's some lessons that were that had to be learned from that Bengals game. Now my question is, is Steve Spagnolo gonna take advantage of those lessons that were learned and do what needs to be done? Because the stat that I'm gonna end up putting in Friday's show, but I will share right now here on the fourth and one podcast is in terms Wait, you're, of you're gonna say numbers? Yeah, I'm actually I'm gonna say numbers. I know I'm numbers. Asleep. I'm already asleep. I'm, I already I know numbers better than I I like to admit. So when the Chiefs used four rushers against Joe Burrow, he was 24 or 30, 354 yards. He got 11.8 yards per attempt, four TDs, zero INTs, and the Chiefs played a you know so the Chiefs at time played some man and left uh, left single high with uh, and when that happens, Burrow. Burrow takes full advantage of it. So that's a problem that the Chiefs going to really make some decisions on about how they want to handle that. Yeah, I mean, look, Joe Burrow's one of the up-and-coming quarterbacks in the league. I, this is not, I don't, just like we talked about with, with Josh Allen, I don't think this is going to be the last time the Chiefs and Bengals see each other in the postseason, um, you know, in, in the coming years, assuming that, you know, Mahomes and, and Burrow stay healthy. Um but I, I look, I think that having played just a month ago, I feel like the advantage goes to the Chiefs here. And the reason is they've been in this situation before. The Bengals haven't. And there's pressure when you have a chance to go to a Super Bowl. The Chiefs have been here the last three years. They came up short in overtime against the Patriots, who were the more experienced team. But then they were the more experienced team against the Titans. And they were the more experienced team last year against the Bills. And the Chiefs prevailed and ultimately prevailed pretty easily in those games. I, I think that that suggests that, the, you know, that good things for the Chiefs. It, you know, because you got to remember, this is all new for Zach Taylor, too. It's not new for Andy Reid, right? Like, um, so when you talk about experience, when you this talk is, about... This is a Wednesday for Andy Reid at this point. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, none of this is going to surprise... Steve Spagnolo, right? Like, I mean, he's been in this situation before. I don't get the impression that Steve Spagnolo is a guy with a massive ego no. who's going to be like, going to be like, well, you know, this is just what we have to do. I, I think he will learn in those situations. Like, okay, we're, we're not going cover zero, even on third and 27 mm -mm. and leaving our corners on an island this time. We're going to have to adjust some things. And he admitted in his press conference Thursday, 
they had some other things up their sleeve for Buffalo. They had some packages specifically designed that they were going to try to get, uh, you know, a little bit whimsical um, against the Bills. They mostly involved Tyron Matthew. And when Tyron Matthew went out on the first drive, they, you know, they weren't able to do that because Tyron Matthew's versatility um, changes things for, for what he can do with that defense. Matthew, of course, um, he hasn't officially passed protocol, but he was a full participant in Thursday's practice, which is a very good sign that he likely will be cleared in time for Sunday. At this point, I would say it would be more of a shock if he isn't on the field Sunday mm -hmm. than if he is. Um, and so that, you know, as long as he's healthy and he's back, that that's good things. Cause as much as they've tried to downplay it, as much as they've tried to say, Oh no, I mean, you know, it hit him being out. Didn't really affect us. Next man up all this other stuff. Oh, it like, affected him. Coach right, like, told me it affected him a great deal. Right. I mean, they, they were obviously confused on the last touchdown. Yeah. They obviously had trouble getting lined up. In they obviously they were confused on a lot of touchdowns. Right. They, they, they were, you know, they were struggling and, and Legarius Sneed was one of the guys who said, Oh no, man, it's next man up. But when uh, I think it was James Palmer asked Legarius, like, Hey, how often does Tyron like diagnose the play beforehand and tell you what's coming? And, and Legarius was like every snap, every single snap, he tells me what's coming and what to expect and what to do. And I'm like, when that guy's not on the field, mm -hmm. like that's a problem. And all of a sudden your secondary looks very, very pedestrian or maybe even, um, you know, like they were being rolled in a wheelchair across the, 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 the crosswalk there, um, as opposed to walking across it. Um, and they got run over by that bus that was the Buffalo Bills and Gabriel Davis. Um, that was a unique imagery. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, um, I, you know, as long as Matthew's healthy, I don't think that the Bengals can count on getting as confused a defense this time around. Uh, I think the Chiefs will make some adjustments. Here's the other thing. As meticulous as Patrick Mahomes is at his study, um, having got a chance to play this team once, um, I'm – I'm a bet on Mahomes, like like he's like the Jason Bourne of you know uh, of the NFL. Like you might get the drop on him, you know, but once he knows you're there, it's it's a problem for you. Yeah, another reference you could have made would have been Ben Affleck and the Accountant, so it would have been one of Matt Damon's <laughs> buddies movies. Um, yeah, no, but like you said, I mean the Pat, like I mean Patrick what can you really say other than that guy in revenge games? I'm going to throw out some more numbers at you. I was going to put this in Friday's thing. I looked it up on Monday. Um, Ooh, Patrick Mahomes, a preview of a Friday. Yeah. So Friday's special. Uh, yeah. Pa Patrick Mahomes in rematch games record four and one um, <clears throat> passing yards average is three forty five. <laughs> no big deal. And then uh, he that, that, by the way, would be his lowest total of this postseason yeah. by more than 30 yards. He's got 14 TDs, two interceptions, and a passer rating of 113.2. Um, so all that combined, like, look, I mean, Patrick has just a different playoff. Playoff Patrick Mahomes is at a different level than regular season Patrick Mahomes. Like that guy locks in. I, I think that's something that's kind of very underrated and underestimated is how much Patrick locks in whenever it's time to turn it on and the championships on the line or the road to championship happens. Like there's, there's games where he will crank it up to 11 and this playoff run is one of those times where he's cranking it up to 11. It's just a matter of how many 
teammates can he get to that same mentality and that same point, whether it's through his play or through his inspiration and how many other guys on the football field are on that same wavelength. And I can tell you Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey definitely always are. Um, Let me ask, did you see the, the tweet that his trainer put out that showed his heart rate during the game and how it was at the highest when Buffalo was scored and that he's just like ice cold when he's actually on the field. I'm not surprised by it. I mean, he's been there, done that. I mean, if they'd done that heart rate thing in 2018, I think it'd be a whole different ball game (laughs) or in 2017, his first start against the Broncos, but he, he has shown so much. The thing I want to talk about with Mahomes is he's shown so much growth over the past year and throughout this football season from where he was and how he would drift at times in the pocket and how he would kind of go about things. And, and like that bills game, the way he maneuvered around in the pocket and the plays that he made, he blended old school, Patrick Mahomes with who he has to be as a quarterback and kind of all of it combined. And it's funny because at times it does, I know uh, I'm not going to reveal the person's name, but like when I was talking to him the other night, um, like they're like, I, they made the comment to me. They're like, man, I just feel like he gets bored sometimes and just chucks it deep. <laughs> just to be like, <laughs> I know we're winning this game, but I'm just going to chuck it deep and say, yeah, it didn't work out this time. Add a little excitement <laughs> for me. We'll get him next drive. And like, you know, so, and I kind of, I agree with him hundred percent on that one. So it, it's just, I don't know. It's just very interesting and intriguing at times. Kind of, you know, who Pat is in the regular season versus whenever the, whenever it's championship time, like he cranks it up to another level. And it's funny that you, that I say that because there's, there's some quarterbacks that haven't been able to crank it up in the playoffs. Somebody up in green Bay really seems to struggle to, to overcome some stuff come playoff time. So it's, I don't know. It's just interesting kind of what Patrick is able to do. And obviously the potential nickname that he may have coming out of this playoffs, thanks to his head coach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and like, uh, I I'm trying to remember, I think it was, uh, McCole Hardman jr. Said, we're not going to call him grim, but, uh, yeah. When, when Pat's on the field and it's winning time, uh, the grim reaper fits. <laughs> and I think he, I think he also went on to say that dude takes some people's souls. I think is what he said or something. Oh yes. Just snatch, snatching people's dreams when he's on yeah. the field, <laughs> which is hundred percent true. I mean, um, you know, I look, I'm not sure that people in Chiefs Kingdom are over that Bills game yet, but it's been encouraging. As long like as Eric, the team is and the coaches are, right, that's all right. I care about. And that was like like Eric Vienemy was asked about it, and and he and he had another great line. He's he's like he's like I think I moved on after about 13 seconds, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I thought ruthless, was cold. Ruthless, yeah. <laughs> but listen, I mean, this is a team. That, that, like I said, they, they beat the chiefs. Like they yeah. came back against the chiefs. You know, I think that just like we talk about the chiefs learning something from that third and 27 on defense and that third and five on offense, I think the Bengals learned a little bit about who they might need to be in the last five minutes as they ran out the clock. Yeah. Um, to set up that field goal. Now, granted, it was aided by some penalties. That's very say. Are those officials traveling with them? Well, I, I mean, I would argue the penalties in the end zone and the, at the end of the game, I, I thought were were better calls than some of them we saw earlier in the game that set the stage for it. Um, but I, I still think that you know, look, they didn't run the ball well that game. I mean, I think they had 19 carries for 60 yards. Joe Mixon wasn't much of a factor. Um, you know, I mean, I think that they might. Um, you know, look at, at what teams have had success and say, Hey, you know, shell coverage, you know, is still 
makes Pat earn it, you know, running the football and having some, some, uh, you know, some sustained drives on the other side to bleed the clock and limit the number of chances Mahomes gets to go at your defense. I mean, I think just like the chiefs, um, the Bengals can learn from that game. So if you're Kansas city, what adjustments do you need to make? Um, let's start with the offense to make sure that you don't, you know, get off to a fast start and then have a real lull in the second half that allows a team to get back into it like they did in week 17. Yeah. I think part of it is that the chiefs are, I mean, when when I went back and watched the game, the chiefs, the chiefs run game was, was really effective against the Bengals. And I I don't know if it's going to have that same effectiveness this time around, simply because I think they're going to have a, a, you know, different lineup on the offensive line because they had more road graders when they had, you know, the, you know, they had Tooney at left tackle, Allegretti at left guard, Creed at center and and Trey at right guard. And then even Wiley at right tackle, like those dudes are a road grading style. And so I don't know. I mean, I hope they have the same effectiveness with the, with the different lineup, but I don't, I don't definitely know if they will or not, because they were able to kind of use that to keep them in favorable down in distance a lot of times but the Chiefs may be able to use the screen game instead this time around to kind of keep that favorable down in distance, depending on what the Bengals do, if they want to do their two shell or if they want to try to, uh, if they, you know, if they want to get aggressive at times and take their shot at Mahomes on some blitzes, I mean, it's, it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting matchup in that regard. So I'm curious to see how they, how that shakes out, but. Well, and they've been multiple all year, right? Like they don't just play two shell. They don't just play single high. They're, they're going to bring a lot of different things. Uh, the problem is, you know, usually, usually Patrick Mahomes wins those chess, chess matches. And um, he's gotten really good as this season's gone along, you know, because other teams have been that way too. But he's gotten really good, especially in the playoffs these last couple games. When teams do give him that single high look, he fire roasts them almost every time. Yeah, because if you uh, if you take a look at the uh, especially with the two high um, next gen stats put it out from uh, from after the game when the Bills ran too high thirty eight times in the game. Yeah, um, Patrick in that game was twenty nine to thirty eight, three forty four, and two TDs. Like he's learned how to take what the defense has given him, and that's been part of his growth. And so, I mean, if 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 teams don't want to bl- like it's so weird because like if teams don't want to blitz him you know he's gonna burn him he knows how to burn him now if yeah. teams blitz him he knows how to burn him even more like you know it doesn't it just doesn't matter anymore so it's uh it's it's been a big development for him growth wise to be able to kind of become a quarterback that can just adjust based on whatever the defense does now and it may take him a couple series may take a little bit but he gets there and they hang 30. Now it's kind of their thing. And when they do, they're, I think, like 51 and three in Mahomes' career. No, when they give up fewer than 30, I think they're like 50 and three in Patrick Mahomes' career now. Is that, is that ridiculous. all? So, yeah, as long as they don't give up 30, they're going to win almost every time. Um, so, okay, now flip into the defense. Um, Obviously, they've got to make some adjustments uh, on Jamar Chase. Um, I do think that there were plenty of times where, um, like on that third and 27, I don't think Charvarius Ward was in a bad spot. On on the touchdown later in that, I think it was later that same drive, 
um, on the sideline, same sideline. Again, I don't think Ward was in a bad spot. He just didn't make a make a play on the ball, and Jamar Chase owned him. What what adjustment do you expect them to make um, to Jamar Chase, and how worried are you about the chance they might open co- overcompensate and then let T Higgins or Taj Boyd or you know Uzama end up having a big game instead? Um. The, the the two guys that they're the three guys they got to decide at times is between T Higgins, between Boyd, and between Jamar Chase. Who do we have to one hundred percent like not let them touch the ball? And that's Jamar Chase. Like that has to happen. Then the second question becomes: Okay, now that now that we've bracketed, doubled him, or however they're going to approach that. Now that that's done, because that's what the Chiefs did with Stefan Diggs, they doubled him most of the game. High, low, maybe some bracket coverage, maybe some hits, you know, and then have somebody there in zone. But there was only there was only one time I genuinely saw Diggs open the entire game. Yeah, that's a lot three, of that's a lot of snaps. For seven yards. That's a yeah. lot of snaps to have that type of attention. Um, so that's why Gabriel Davis was able to do what he did. And if Tyron Matthews out there, Gabriel Davis doesn't do what he does either. And that game's not as close as what it turned into from an epic perspective. Um, so then the next question becomes T Higgins with his jump ball versus Boyd in the, at the, in the slot who can still wreck you pretty good over the middle of the field and out routes and things of that nature. Which one do you, uh, Boyd's got more speed than Higgins. Higgins can just, he can just jump ball it. And then, you know, Usama is not, not a massive threat in terms of athletic ability. Doesn't mean he won't make catches. Doesn't mean he can't have 100 yards. Doesn't mean he can't have 10 yards receiving. It's just the explosiveness isn't there like it is with Chase. And then Mixon can cause you problems too. I would say it depends on which linebackers got him in coverage in certain situations too, though. Because we've seen some of the Chiefs linebackers struggle if they can isolate Uzama Uzama on, on Hitchens or Bolton in coverage at times or Neiman, depending on who's out there. Touche. Um, but I mean, you, you know, that's, that's what the whole purpose of the Bengals offense is. It makes you choose who you want to, who you're willing to stop and who you're willing to kind of let, you know, score some points and get some yards against you. And, and like the, the number one, the number one thing that makes, in my opinion, the number one thing that makes their offense, what it is, is Joe Burrow's ability to move around in the pocket. And it is Chase's athletic ability. Like those are the two things that you have to really kind of, now, can they run the ball and with Mixon? Yeah, they can run the ball, and he's athletic enough in, in the flats and in the screen game as well to cause problems. But they still have to work for it at that point, and that even takes time off the clock for them if they do that. So, I mean, I, I Chase is a guy you can't. you got to show the ultimate amount of respect to this time around, and for the most part, you don't want to give up explosive plays and let them beat you deep there. You got to make them work for it. Just like, you know, other teams have to. So, and, and in that time, you're hoping your pass rush can, you know, use five to be able to get to burrow and kind of disrupt them and blitz under control and do some stuff under control that, you know, you can make them pay with that. So part of a big part. And, and another thing I think the Bengals are going to do, I think she's got to be ready for is I think the Bengals are going to use some rollouts. Like, I think they're going to, you know, they're going to get Burrow out there and they're going to try to do some boots and some rollouts because they got to get him moved from the pocket so the rushers can't just tee off on him at one spot every single time. So I think that's something that they're going to have to mix in there on some of their passing downs to try to, 
manipulate some stuff in, in their favor to get some of their receivers going certain ways athletically to be able to create some of those explosive plays underneath, just like the Chiefs do. Yeah, I mean, look, on, on, on paper, it's even a bit of a mismatch, though. I mean, if you look at, like, just the playoff stats, you know, I mean, the Bengals have been averaging less than 327 points a game against the Raiders and the Titans. Um, you know, meanwhile, the Chiefs just set fire to the number one defense in the NFL last weekend behind Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you know, they're Isn't getting crazy? number one defense and they just hung that much on. And it wasn't even close. And, and it was total yards and scoring and yards per play and points per drive. Like you name a metric and Buffalo was probably number one or top three at the very least and, and almost, almost across the board. Um, and they, they had, you know, they had no shot against Patrick Mahomes last weekend. Um, you know, which, I mean, I think that's going to, you know, it's going to be a challenge, I think, for for Cincinnati. And I'm just not sure that Cincinnati uh, is up for it. I mean, they've been giving up 369 yards a game um, so far in the playoffs and against two offenses that I don't think are anywhere near what they're going to see this weekend. Yeah. And the thing that the Chiefs defense is going to have to keep mindful of is like the, the Bengals run their 11 personnel 76% of the time. And then they run their 12 personnel 18% of the time. So that's primarily what they're running out of for a lot of the stuff. So, you know, that's going to determine a lot of your sub packages of who's out there and everything. So they're going to have to be on point with being isolated at the linebacker spot and potentially at the safety spot with a lot of that stuff. And then their biggest weakness is on the right side at right guard, right tackle They're They struggle mightily right now. And that's where a lot of that pressure is going to have to come from. And that's what's going to cause Burrow to rush his throws. So whenever you're blitzing them, the guy who's coming off the left side, whether that's Clark Ingram or a blitz, that's coming off Burrow's backside there on his blind side, like they're going to have to take a wider. They're going to have to go wide on it. And he's not going to feel that pressure as much if they, if they time it well. But if, you, if he sees the pressure that's coming likely coming from his right side, then that's going to cause him to rush his throws. So that's another way they're going to have to dictate some of what they're doing with how they're going to attack Burrow. But you don't have to use the same type of contain you did with Allen that the Chiefs did. That's why their pass rush didn't look as effective. Because on Coach's film, they were making sure they kept their rush lanes and kind of spied at times with the defensive tackles and some of the stuff that they did so that Allen wouldn't be able to just run amok on them. They could force them to where they wanted to so the defensive coverage knew this is where he was going to if he did escape. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Burrow's not that same guy. I promise. (laughs) No, especially he's been dealing with the knee injury that got worse. You know, he missed a chunk of last season after tearing his ACL. And then it, you know, he, he, he got banged up in that chiefs game. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to worry about him as the run threat that certainly that Allen or even a Mahomes is. And again, his pocket presence in that Titans game wasn't great. He got sacked nine times. He made some worse, dude. Like the way he kept right. trying there to were times... He made some stuff worse, and Titans just didn't didn't have the offense to make him pay like the Chiefs were. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I mean, if the Chiefs can come anywhere close to replicating what they did, and when you saw the way Jeffrey Simmons owned the middle of that game, yep. this is a Chris Jones game. Like he's got to wreck that game with interior pressure. Um, because he doesn't have to worry about containing and, and maintaining, you know, gap discipline to, so that Allen doesn't escape. This is a game where Chris Jones just needs to go ham and just, you know, hair on fire up the middle, 
you know, wreaking havoc, uh, you know, making it hard for Joe Mixon to press the hole and bounce, making it hard for Joe Burrow or for Joe Burrow to step up in the pocket. This is the kind of game where Chris Jones can absolutely wreck him. Yeah. And this is, I mean, whether the chiefs do or don't go to the AFC championship, in my opinion, is going to decide um, based on what they do with Jamar chase and how that pass rush does with their front four against Burrow like that, that how they answer those questions determines whether they are holding up another Lamar hunt trophy and going to their third consecutive super bowl, or if they're going to be watching it from their houses in the off season or going on vacation. Yeah. Well, and I think, uh, um, did you already put it on Twitter? 71, nothing is that I can't remember. Did not. I did not make that my score prediction. You haven't made it official yet. Okay, I got you. I got you. That was definitely not my going to be my score, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> um, all right, but I, I think you and I both would agree that the Chiefs deserve to be favored in this one. Yeah, they do, and I think the Chiefs can win comfortably, but like I said, it's there's there's some stuff from a fishing perspective that's going to have to be on point. The Chiefs know how to attack that defense versus certain looks. They just got to get some of those looks and have the time to get there, and and Mahomes can hang. I am not kidding you when I say this. Mahomes can hang 42 on them without a problem. Yeah. Like that that's possible against this defense without the blink of an eye. And the Chiefs are more balanced than they were during that game against the Bengals because of having McKinnon and the way Pringle has stepped up and the way Hardman's been able to be properly utilized. Like the Chiefs have it in them to hang 42 or more without much of a problem against them. It's just I'm not kidding when I say it, it literally is going to come down to if the Chiefs front four pass rush can step up to the plate and really make a huge difference in this and how they how they do some of their coverages and if they leave the corners on islands against Chase and Higgins out wide and when they're pushing vertically and pressing vertically, what they do there. Because if they don't have safety help over top on some of those, they, those could be problems all over again. Yeah, good news is uh, Rashad Fenton is also um, – been a full participant at practice and i That's think massive. getting him back massive. helps yes so. he, he knows what he's doing and he's comfortable and as much, as long as he doesn't taunt like he did a couple times in the Bengals game he'll be fine <laughs> yeah yeah so all right well um i do want to turn our attention real quick ryan poles um yeah he has now moved on to be the bears gm um you know i mean not unexpected right when teams have success um their front office and their uh, coaching staffs get raided, but uh, um, you know, I mean, how, is how big a loss is that for Brett Veach and company? Because he's a guy that's been with the team since 2009. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know Ryan Poles has been an individual that kind of, depending on who you talk to, offensive line and defensive line wise, he's good at identifying that. So I'll be curious to see who potentially may take over in some of that part of it. Um, but he's a guy who's been through three regimes. He was there for the Peeler regime. He was there for Dorsey's regime and worked his way up. And then he's there with Brett Veach and worked his way up through that regime. So a guy to be able to stay in the organization and go through three different uh, regime changes and maybe some grading changes and how they want to scout and the approach they want to take scouting wise. I mean, he built his way up from the bottom with the chiefs to, to what he's done. So he's gone from being the guy who went and picked people up for physicals and kind of had to help put schedules together for scouts and where they would go and what they would do while at the same time, kind of checking with some of the pro personnel stuff on what they do and what people may not know is from, from a pro, pro personnel perspective, those guys got to keep tabs on the free agents that are in the NFL 
They got to keep tabs on um, the, potentially if they want to do some stuff, some of the advanced scouting that they may do to help with the upcoming team and kind of analyze the 53 guys on that roster that the, that they may face and they may help with some of that part of it. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a unique puzzle piece thing that they have to put together on the road of scouting and what all they go through about what schools they can go to. Um, some schools may not allow, you know, the scout to be at Alabama on this day, hypothetically. So then they have to plan their trips around some of that stuff to watch them in person and kind of all the rules and restrictions that colleges have. There's a lot that goes into what they do logistically and, you know, whether it's maybe getting hotel rooms for a, for a senior bowl that's coming up or an East West shrine game, you know, having those in time, having combine stuff ready, like just, just all that, all that stuff combined, just, you know, it, uh, there's, there's a lot that goes into the scouting world and there's a lot that, you know, Ryan has been educated on and been able to go through that has kind of helped train him for what he's getting ready to do in Chicago. So, I mean, I, I hope it goes well for him. I know, there was times whenever Therese and I'd be hanging out inside of OTAs over the years when we'd be out there and there's, there's Ryan and uh, he's walking back because they got their, their, um, their walk around the, you know, Arrowhead facility uh, where the stadium's at and they're walking back to the practice facility and Therese and I, you know, kind of wave to them sometimes, you know, and say, Hey to him when you see him around up there at training camp. So I, I think it's a phenomenal opportunity. It's a funny opportunity just simply because, you know, he was, there is an undrafted free agent for the bears and he got some time there. And then I believe he had a knee issue. I can't remember if it was in college or with the bears. So he got released and then he had to go be a GA and kind of work his way up that way until he got to the Chiefs. So, I mean, he's, you know, he's been in the player aspect of it before he's been in the scouting department and worked his way up. So, I mean, he's a, he was always a well-balanced candidate for what he's, potentially going to be able to do in Chicago. So, I mean, personally, I'm rooting for him. I hope he does. I hope he does really well there. And good news for him. Uh, Bill Polian had kind of been running the search up there, but uh, it sounds like um, when he took over, um, Ryan Poles was like, Hey, Matt, Eber Matt Eberflus, the Colts defensive coordinator who spent, I think eight, seven or eight years on Gary Pinkle's staff as defensive coordinator at Mizzou after having been with Gary Pinkle for a long time at Toledo before that. Um, you know, he, he said, Eberflus is my guy. And, uh, and then news broke today that, uh, Matt Eberflus is one of the, one of the first, uh, um, coaches to, you know, in that coaching carousel to, to, you know, land. So, um, you know, I mean, that's, that it's going to be Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus moving forward. Eberflus, of course, um, um, you know, came along for Chris Ballard, who, had been in Kansas city for a long time as well. And is now the Colts GM. So a lot, a lot of different Kansas city ties there in Chicago now, which is kind of ironic. Cause they just, you know, the last head coach had come from Kansas city and Matt Nagy. Um, but they weren't scared to go back to the chief's front office this time. You shouldn't be because the chief's front office has had the success it has for a reason. So, I mean, but that's, that's their fault for pairing Ryan pace with Matt. Nagy. That's that's right. on them. Like you've got to pair a GM with Matt Nagy that understands what they're trying to get and create. And if, yeah. if they don't have the, if they don't have those things then it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. So that's why it didn't matter up there. For, you know, it doesn't matter what Nagy did because if you don't have that GM that sees the, sees the mentality the same way, scouts the same way as what your previous, you know, front office did, it, it didn't matter. Now, if Ryan Poles has been put together with Matt Nagy, I think things turn out a lot differently in Chicago, but 
Pace came from a different background, you know, down there in New Orleans. And I know they have some of the same scheme and concepts, but, it, you know, if you don't have – this is the thing I say. If you don't have a front office and a coaching staff that are in sync together about what they're trying to do and what they need to go look for for them on the shop – on the grocery shopping list, you know, it's kind of like telling somebody that you need X, Y, and Z from, uh, you know, from grocery store A and they only – have that at grocery store b <laughs> yeah so it just you know it's a it's a unique it's a very it can be a very confusing shopping list if you aren't on the same page and in some ways speaking completely different languages about how you evaluate players and what their characteristics and athletic abilities are uh the other coaching domino to fall um during our uh you know at, at least by the time we're recording this podcast on thursday afternoon was Nathaniel Hackett, heading, uh, former Green Bay offense coordinator, heading to Denver. Um, that's the one place that we know for sure um, Eric Bieniemy had interviewed this offseason. Um, so, obviously, um, you know, based on that, it looks like a, a third straight year Bieniemy is, is not going to get that head coaching job he covets. Well, we'll see. We'll see how the next couple of weeks work out. You know, uh, there's still plenty of openings out there, but. You know, so we'll we'll see how the next couple of weeks work out. You root for him, hope something is a, is able to materialize for him. But um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't exactly heard the Ravis reviews about Nate Hackett as uh, the hire for Denver. So we'll be interested to see how that works out, and then we'll see how the Raiders situation works out by the time we do our next podcast, and if they've hired their head coach, who uh, you know maybe coming from the New England tree. Yeah. Um, Look, I think all that matters um, is how Aaron Rodgers feels about the Nathaniel Hackett hire and whether he's going to end up in Denver next season. And then how cool would that be? He would be arguably the second best quarterback on the franchise by the time training camp starts if Peyton Manning has has, has bought the team. So <laughs> we will see how it all shakes out, Tom. <laughs> all right. You got anything else? No, I'm just ready to watch some championship football on Sunday. Right. So uh, we'll do this again Sunday and uh, hopefully it won't be terribly late this time around since uh, games at two o'clock on Sunday. Crazy kids, if you didn't already know. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll have another victory edition to chat about later in the week. Until next time, Todd, I bid you adieu. Take care, kids. <laughs>